I turn with you to read again, again, these same verses in Judges chapter 8. Verse 4 for the context, but the messages have been from verse 5 through verse 9. Verse 4, chapter 8, And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him, faint, yet pursuing them. And he said unto the men of Succoth, Give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me. For they be faint, and I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. And the princes of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thine army? And Gideon said, Therefore, when the Lord hath delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into mine hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And he went up thence to Penuel, and he spake unto them likewise. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered him. And he spake also unto the men of Penuel, saying, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Turn with me again in your hymn book, if you will, please, and stand with me. Sing together number 597. God, to Thee my sinking soul in deep distress doth fly. Thy love can all my griefs control, and all my wants supply. How oft when dark misfortunes bend around their victim stood the seeming ill at thy command hath changed it real good the tempest that obscured the sky hath set my bosom free from earthly care and sensual joy and turn my thoughts to thee. 
afflictions blast hath made me learn to feel for others woe and humbly seek with deep concern my own defects to know then rage ye storms ye billows roar my heart defies your shock ye make me cling to God the more to God my sheltering rock and thank you and be seated. As always, I struggle with a title. Not that I think a title is necessary for any message to be a message. But I more often than once, more often than not, have titles and more than one. I published in your bulletin the title this morning, Lord, What More Can I Bear? Or you may title the message, The Crook in Gideon's Lot. In the last message, we looked together at two questions and then entertained their answers. And I made use of that method, questions and answers, to attempt an exposition of these verses, verse 5 through 7. At the end of that message and at the end of that attempted exposition, I told you that this text had yet much more to teach us if our hearts would pause and give time to reflect. So now, allow me, if you will, a few moments to do just that, to pause and reflect on this text. Just to say that Gideon, when we arrive at this location in the story, just to say that Gideon was struggling seems a cruel understatement. Gideon has been struggling. Now for a long time. He struggled, as you recall, in his own heart, with his own heart. He struggled with his own confidence. He struggled profoundly with faith to trust the Lord for the job given to him. So he has struggled a long time and greatly with his own heart. He struggled, you remember as well, 
with false and carnal brethren. He struggled with that first crew that wanted to kill him. He struggled with false and carnal brethren. And he's now struggling again when we come to this text. Struggling now with sheer hunger and fatigue and physical exhaustion in order to the completion of his task, his mission, his purpose, seen here and now. And it would seem to him at this place, it would seem to us at this place, in reading the story, that he has reached a place where it is improbable, if not absolutely impossible, that he should be able to finish the task. As I said to you on last week, it is at this exact place where most of us fall down and fail. The battle wears on. The trials, rather than subsiding, seem to surmount. The for relief from his brethren proves yet more discouragement. Trouble turns to heartache and weariness turns to exhaustion. And soon enough, the saint concludes more often than not with Job that even God himself has become our enemy. Oh, what a sorrow is this. When we have come so far, so long, so hard, so weary, so fatigued and so hungry that we've come to think even God has become our enemy. Wisely commenting on Gideon here, Richard Rogers sometimes in 1615 had this to say, For to them, that is these brethren, Ephraim, Penuel, for to them he went in the faintness and weariness of himself and his soldiers and was repulsed. Whereby he might easily have been tempted and brought to think and to fear that God did not approve of his journey. But did let himself set himself against him. For so we are wont to conclude in the ill success we have even in good attempts. Especially when the hindrances be formidable, many and diverse. And one in the neck of another. As afflictions were. Dear Job. 
as his afflictions were when among hard messages brought to him of other calamities that were befalling him. This was one that the fire of God had fallen from heaven and had burnt up his sheep and his servants as if God had been against him. So that we may learn by this that things sometimes may go so contrary to our desire and expectations that and that in our duties which God required and will have to be done by us as if he were not with us but against us, yea, as if he would cross us in them of a set purpose. Our duties here is to look to what God bids us do. In other words, what has God said? Never mind the crosses. Never mind the obstacles. Never mind the heartache. Never mind what it looks like on the surface. Did God say do it? Then do it. What did God say? Surely Job thought that God himself had become his enemy. Such may that be the depth of our pains and sorrows at times. When God crosses our paths with such providence as this. Gideon here has suffered yet another hard providence. Yet another blow. And this, as I said, from his own brethren. Brethren, in the case of Ephraim, who hindered him by their selfish carnality. Brethren, in the case of Penuel, who hindered him by their self-loving vanity and false security. Providence has given Gideon another blow. This, as we said on last week, was nothing less than David experienced later on in the hands of Nabal in 1 Samuel 25. Such hard blows can and sometimes do knock the wind right out of our hearts and reduce us to a valley of despair from which even the lifting up of our eyes in prayer is a struggle and a pain and has sapped the vitals out of our very strength. Indeed, Rogers again warns us, it may possibly be the case, says Roger, of any of God's people to be destitute of even the necessities of this life. To be brought into straits both by want of food and other calamities brought upon us. David, in his fleeing from Saul, you remember, was so uh, distressed for victuals that he was faced to care for the showbread and eat of the showbread, which you know well was unlawful for any but the priest to eat of. 
First Samuel chapter 21. David so distressed even for food that he would eat the priest's food. Jonathan and the people with him, you'll remember, were even ready to faint and yet might not without perils of their life taste so much as a little honey with the top of their spear to save and preserve their lives. In 1 Samuel 14, 24. And here Gideon, Gideon is reduced to the want even for bread. But old Rogers goes on later and says, Therefore in such a case, let men be contented, nay, glad, if God cross them, that they may be better spy out what poison their best duties and desires as pride and rashness, boldness, and learn hereby. Meekness, humility, repentance, fear. For God doth justly suffer many discouragements to be upon us that they may stay the course and proceed more advisedly and commendably in their doings. But it falleth out sometimes, as I said before, that sore and great difficulties stand up in men's way, not unlike Gideon's, wherein the Lord deals with his as if he sending them on a journey would make heaven and earth be against them in their travels, which is greatly to their astonishment. And in such cases, wherein we have so much to dismay us, Satan is ever at hand also to work upon our weakness and to set us much more backward, especially when we shall be brought to think God's deeds seem contrary to his words. God's deeds seem contrary to his words. As in the death of the Shunammite child, you remember it? First Kings, Second Kings chapter 4. The death of the Shunammite child. This child which had been given her as an unlooked for blessing. But then he died. Cross providences. Now when it pleaseth God to try us, says Roger, seeming to let such bars in our way. Few of us are wise enough to see or at least rightly to consider why it is thus with us and why God suffers things so to trouble us. But as though we had thereby just cause to complain of his doings and to expostulate with him, we begin to doubt how he will make good his promise to us and whether we may go forward in the good course in which we've begun. Yea, we are impatient or much disquieted at the least and so are discouraged from our good beginnings. 
whereby we may see our froth rather than faith, which seemed before to be good substance. And yet herein we differ from Gideon most of the time. I have to say amen, Brother Rogers. Confess I stand up and give my testimony. He said herein we differ from Gideon. That as he was found in his discouragements and crosses to be of far greater courage and confidence than we are. So his trial was in great matters and ours often but in triflings. Mm. What preaching. But now this morning, if you would indulge me a brief enlargement from this text itself, I would like to set before our minds some few thoughts on the purposes of our God in such trials, such crossings. Such crossings as Gideon experienced here, the purposes. Rogers said that he may teach him humility, yea, how to flee out of himself and depend immediately upon the Lord for sufficiency and assistance. And not to trust in his own wit. Not to trust in your own study. Not to trust in your own memory. Your own tongue. Your own gifts. Oh, what gain shall he reap thereby? And say with Paul, I am never fitter for God's service than when I'm lowest in my own opinion. And hereafter, therefore, if I boast, I will boast of mine infirmities. As the apostle speaks to the glory of God. Surely none, I believe, has ever, at least in my study, none has ever treated of this truth with more sound and spiritual insight than that great and good Thomas Boston, who sometime around 1707 published his work, The Crook in the Lot. While I can make no attempt here today to cover this subject as Thomas does in that classic work, yet I would for our help pause in this text to take in at least his explanation of God's design in all such cross providences in our lives. He suggests only a few. Only a few of God's designs. Number one, our God will often cross our path in his providence in the way that Gideon is experiencing in this place as a trial. A trial. A trial to determine one's standing whether in a state of grace or not. Oh, says Boston, 
as God made trial of Israel in the wilderness for the land of Canaan by train of afflicting dispensations which Caleb and Joshua bearing strenuously were declared me to enter into the promised land and as having followed the Lord fully while others being tired out with them their carcasses fell in the wilderness and then says Boston and so he makes trial of men for heaven or hell by the crook in their lot trial trial oh nothing will more quickly reveal your standing in grace than for God to cross your purposes. You had a certain job. You had determined could would be the right and you wanted and you move along and God crosses your purposes. There will be a great testing whether or not you're in grace. Maybe some goal in your life. Maybe some love that you have. Something that you pursue and God crosses your purposes. It's a trial. It's a trial. It's a trial. You remember the biblical example, do you not? In Mark chapter 10, you remember the young man came? Said, Lord, what must I do? Do this, do that. I've done all of that. And then in Mark 10, he says, sell all that you have and follow me. Oh, here's a cross purpose. You know what the scripture said? He went away. Hereby he was, said Thomas, this man, hereby he was that moment in the court of conscience. Stripped of his great possessions. So that thenceforth he could no longer keep them with a good conscience as he might have done before. The man instantly felt the smart. He felt the pain of this crook that had been made in his lot. And he was sad at that saying, verse 22 says. That is immediately upon the hearing of it. Being struck with pain, disorder, and confusion of mind, his countenance changed, becoming cloudy and lowering, as the same word is used in Matthew chapter 16, 3. He could not stand the test of that crook in his lot. He could by no means submit his lot to God in this point, but behoove to have it at any rate according to his own mind. And so the scripture says he went away agreed for he had great possessions. He went away from Christ back to his plentiful estate and though with a pain and sorrowful heart he sat down again among his possessions. I say it again. I say it again. Put it down as a principle. Nothing will more quickly test your standing than for God to cross your purposes. Whether in grace or not. Secondly, says Boston, 
the purpose of our God for these for these crossings is for conviction of sin. Says Thomas, as when one walking heedlessly, that is a man's taking a walk, but he's not paying any attention to where he's walking. One walking heedlessly is suddenly taken ill of a lameness. He's going, halting the rest of his way, convinces him of having made a wrong step. You're walking and you're paying no attention. The next thing you know, you've injured yourself. And for the rest of your life, there's a limp. And that limp reminds you of that wrong step you took. So God makes a crook in a man's lot to convince him of some false step that he's made or some false course that he's taken. What the sinner would otherwise be apt to overlook, forget, or think light of is by this means recalled to mind, set before him as an evil and bitter thing and kept in remembrance that his heart may ever now and then bleed for it afresh. Mm, Those are terrible words. God will sometimes cross us to convict us of something we've treated lightly and ignored and taken no thought to. And God will cross that purpose in such a way as to leave us halting so that your heart every now and then might bleed for it again. And thus by the crook men's sin find them out to their conviction. The which Joseph's brethren, you remember, do feelingly express under the crook that was made in their lot in Egypt, Genesis 42.11. Scripture says we are, they said we are verily guilty concerning our brother. God, they said, hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. The crook in the lot doth usually in its nature or circumstances so naturally refer to the false step or course that it serves for a providential memorial of it. Bringing the sin, though of an old date, fresh to remembrance and for a badge of the sinner's folly to keep it ever before him. Oh, did blessed Job say it? When God crooked his lot in chapter 13, verse 26, he said, Thou writest bitter things against me and makest me to possess the iniquities of my youth. (laughs) 
Rogers speaks again and says, It is therefore the singular and only grace of God to enable us to believe and be persuaded that he doth oft times such things to try us that we may show forth the grace of faith and patience that is in us and therefore we are to hold our peace seeing that he hath done it. Thirdly, Boston giving us the reasons, purposes of God in such doings as we read of the testimony here of Gideon. Thirdly, he says he often does that in order to press us up to our duties and wean us from the world. God will just introduce something. That'll put a pause in our walk to press us up to our duties and to wean us from the world. Again, Boston said, pressing us to duty, weaning us from this world and prompting us to look after the happiness of another world. Many have been beholden to the crook in their lot. Now listen. He said, beholden. That means thankful. You owe for it. Many have been beholden to the crook in their lot for that ever they came to themselves, settled and turned serious. Going for a time like a wild ass, used to the wilderness, Scorning to be turned, their foot has slid in due time. And the crook being thereby made in their lot, their mouth hath come wherein they have been caught. And thus was the prodigal brought to himself and obliged to entertain thoughts of returning to his father in Luke chapter 15. The crook in their lot convinces them at length that here, here, there is no rest. Finding still a pricking thorn, uneasiness, whensoever they lay down their head in this world, wherefore, whatever use we make of the crook of our lot, the voice of it is this, Arise ye and depart. This is not your rest. And it is surely that which all means of mortification doth most deaden a real Christian to this world. If the pure word of God is not sufficient for a tutor, he will send you a tutor by means of a crook in your lot. Gideon, by his crook, was driven to say that he would not be distracted. I haven't made much of it in reading so far, preaching from this section of Scripture, these verses. But Gideon was brought to this to say that he would not 
be distracted with even their punishment now, but would press on in the purpose and work of God, leaving lesser things for lesser days. Moving on with his duty. Many are obliged to the cook in their lot, said Rogers. Many are obliged to the crook in their lot that they go not to those excesses which their vain minds and corrupt affections would with full sail carry them to. And they would from their hearts bless God for making it. If they did but calmly consider what would most likely be the issue if he had removed it. When one is in the hazard of fretting under the hardship of bearing the crook, he would do well to consider what condition he's yet in. Number four, purposes of our God in such dealings as God dealt with Gideon in this place. They will discover to us Latent sin previously unseen. Now this goes a little deeper than the final point, the last point. The last point said it's to convict of sin. But that's the convict of sin that we are conscious of. God may introduce a crook in our lot so as to dredge up, as it were, latent sin of which we have chosen not to know. Said Tomlinson, there are some corruptions in every man's heart which lie, as it were, so near the surface that they are ready on every turn to rise up. But then there are others which lie so very deep that they are scarcely observed at all. But as the fire under the pot makes the scum rise up and appear on the top and run over, so the crook in the lot raises from the bottom and brings out such corruption as otherwise one could hardly imagine to be within. Who would have suspected, who would have suspected such strength of passion in the meek Moses as he discovered at the waters of strife for which he was kept out of the promised land? Who would have expected it? Not Moses himself. So much bitterness of spirit in the patient Job. Who would have expected it? So much bitterness of, of, of spirit in this patient man as to charge God with becoming cruel to him. Job 30 and verse 21. So much ill nature in the good Jeremiah as to curse not only the day of his birth, but even the man that brought the tidings to his father. Jeremiah 20 verse 14. 
or such a tang of atheism in Asap as to pronounce religion a vain thing. In Psalm 73, 13. But you see, the crook in the lot brings out these things, shows them to have been within how long soever they have lurked unobserved. Oh, said the psalmist in 119.71, it was good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Let men learn and consider what they are. Listen to this. Listen to this now. Listen to what Roger said. Let men learn to know and consider what they are. To the pulling down of their peacock feathers. Even earth. 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 He says it three times. If you want to know what a man is, strutting around with his peacock colored feathers. He is earth. Earth, earth, and if they be weighed in an equal balance, they're far worse than nothing. And God crossing your purposes with hard providence will bring this to the surface. And we'll see that we are but earth. Deeply stained. Then again, number five, he brings the crosses sometimes for correction and punishment. Says Boston, in nothing more than the crook in the lot is that word verified in Jeremiah 2, 19. Thine own wickedness shall correct thee and thy backslidings shall reprove thee. Oh, David's killing Uriah by the sword of the Ammonites was soon over. But for that cause, Second Samuel 12, 10 tells us, the sword never departed from his house. Gehazi quickly obtained two bags of money from Naaman in the way of falsehood and lying, but as a lasting mark of the divine indignation against the profane trick. He got with all a leprosy that claimed to him while he lived and to his posterity after him. 2 Kings 5.27 And this may be the case as well where the sin is pardoned. Now listen to me now. Listen to Boston now. Here's a hard lesson. This may be the case as well where sin is pardoned as to the guilt of eternal wrath as where it is not. And one may have confessed and sincerely sincerely repented of that sin which yet shall make him go halting to the grave, though it cannot carry him to hell. 
Oh, listen, you young people, listen to me. Listen to Thomas Boston, you young people. You can do things in your life that God can pardon and grant you forgiveness and repentance, but you'll go halting to your grave carrying the marks and the scars. I had a cousin older than me, but a cousin, terrible alcoholic. Every time, I've, I think I've mentioned this to the church before, every time he got drunk, he thought he was a warrior. and He wanted to fight and kill people. But because he was drunk, that just wasn't very good. And he got cut up with so many broken beer bottles. His face looked like, I mean, they can make a movie scar. I mean, his face was cut up. His arms, he had scars half inch wide. Later in life, he went cold turkey off the bottle, quit drinking. He could go in a bar and sit down and talk to men drinking all around and wouldn't touch a drop of liquor. Cut, cut it off cold turkey. Just shut it down one day. But when they buried him, the scars were all over him. Thomas said one may have confessed and sincerely repented of that sin, which yet shall make him go halting to the grave, though it cannot carry him down. A man's person may be accepted in the beloved who yet hath a particular badge of divine displeasure with his sin hung upon him in the crook of his lot. Psalm 99 verse 8 said, Thou wast a God that forgavest them though thou tookest vengeance on their inventions. Oh, for conviction of sin, God may cross your lot. Number six, he may cross your lot for the prevention of sin. (laughs) Hosea chapter 2 and verse 6 says, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. Can you hear it again? God prophesied through Hosea to Israel and said, I'll hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. Says Thomas Boston, the crook in the lock, will readily be found to lie cross to some wrong bias of your heart, which particularly sways you. So it is like a thorn hedge or a wall in the way that bias inclines you. And thus the edge of corrupt affections is blunted. Temptation is weakened. And much sin is prevented. (laughs) Oh, some or other, 
crook has prevented many a sin in men's lives, has it not? I was sharing a testimony not long ago with an individual I met out in the town. And the subject fell on alcohol drinking, whether or not a Christian should drink alcohol. And I gave testimony to the fact that I grew up as a little child with fear. And one of my, if not the greatest sorrow of my life, is the abiding presence of fear. But let me tell you something fear did for me. And I told him, I said, I never drank a drop of liquor. Went to parties, I went everywhere, other kids went my age. Never drank a drop of liquor because I was scared. I was scared. I didn't know what would happen to me. And I was scared. That's a crook in my lot. But it's kept me from a many a sin. Many a sin. That's one of the purposes of God. But finally, this morning I'll give you number seven as a final. God's purpose is in these crooks. These serve to exercise grace. The grace that's given to the children of God. Exercise grace. <laughs> oh, don't you think it did that for Gideon? Don't you think it did that for Gideon? Yes, of course you do. Read the rest of the story. you see what he did. It didn't hinder him. It exercised his faith. Boston said, Believers, through the remains of indwelling corruption, are liable to fits of spiritual laziness and inactivity in which their graces lie dormant for a time. Overpowered by corruption and withal to call forth to action the occasional graces ministering proper occasions for them. The truth is, he said, the crook in the lot is the great Engine of Providence. I love that expression. Boy, that'd be a good title for a book, wouldn't it? I like that term. He said the truth is, the crook in the lot is a great engine for Providence for making men appear in their true colors, discovering both ill and their good. And if the grace of God is in them, it'll bring it out. Hallelujah. If the grace of God is in them, it'll bring it out and cause it to display itself. It so puts the Christian to his shifts that however it makes him stagger for a while, yet it will at length evidence both the reality and the strength of the grace that's in him. He may stagger for a while under it. But oh, our blessed doctrine of perseverance in our Baptist Confession of Faith. Read the Baptist Confession of Faith 1689. That blessed doctrine of perseverance. If God ever put grace in you, it'll come out. It'll abide. It'll be strengthened. It'll be exercised. 
And sometimes it's a crook in the lot that gives it occasion. Brooks said the crook in the lot gives rise to many acts of faith, hope, love, self-denial, resignation, and other graces to many heavenly breathings, pantings, and groanings, which otherwise would not have been brought forth. And I make no question but these things, however, by carnal men despised as trifling, are more precious in the sight of God than even believers themselves are aware of. Oh, these are acts of immediate internal worship and will have a surprising notice taken of them and of the sum of them in the long run. And indeed, the exercises of the graces of his spirit in his people is so very precious in his sight that whatever grace any of them excel in, they will readily get such a crook made in their lot as will be a special trial of it. If God has given you a special grace in a certain thing, Thomas says, you can mark it down. God will send a crook in your life that will exercise that in his. God gives none of his people to excel in a gift, but that sometime or other, he will afford them the use of the whole compass of it. God, simply put, is working out of us the grace and salvation he has worked in us. And he does it often by crossing our paths. But now in closing, could I just leave our hearts with one more word of counsel from the wise pen of the beloved Rogers? He said the humbling circumstances are ordinarily carried to the utmost point of hopelessness before the lifting up. The humbling circumstances are ordinarily Carried to the utmost point of hope. Where do you think Gideon was in this text? I said to you in my introduction, my very first introduction, my first words I said to you, that looked very much at this point, not only unlikely, but absolutely impossible. Not only improbable, but impossible that he would go forward. Much later, this dear brother wrote these words. The humbling circumstances are ordinarily carried to the utmost point of hopelessness before the lifting up. The knife was at Isaac's throat before the voice was heard. Second Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure. Above strength, in so much that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God that raises the dead. Paul said we were, we were beyond hope. It was over. God 
had put such a crook in the lot of his circumstances that he was at the utmost point of hopelessness. Things seem, soon seem to us arrive at that point. <laughs> Such is the hastiness of our spirits. But things may have far to go down after we think they're at the foot of the hill. Oh, dear Lord, what counsel is this? Things may have far to go down after we think they're at the foot of the hill. And we are almost as little competent judges of the point of hopelessness as of the due time for lifting up. But generally, God carries his people he carries his people's humbling circumstances downward, still downward, till they come to that point. Oh, and here is the weightiest. Here is the weightiest. Here is the weightiest, in my opinion, of all of his counsels. May God give us ears to hear it. I read. And then I close. The Lord will have his people weaned so that however hasty they have sometimes been, that they behooved to be so soon lifted up and could no longer bear, they shall brought it, be brought at length to set no time limits on it at all. But submit to go to the grave under the weight of it. If it seemed good in the Lord's eyes. And in that case, they will be brought to be content with any measure of it in time. Without prescribing how much is enough. On the cross, our Lord testified, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But he prayed, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. In that case, they will be brought to be content with any measure of it without prescribing. How much is enough? Oh, dear gracious God, help us. Help us. Gideon, Gideon, brother, would you step up and teach us? Would you step up and teach us how to embrace the crook in the light? Turn with me again, please, in your hymnal. And your bulletin says number 511. But I want us to sing again that 597 that we sang a while ago. 500.
and 97. If we could sing the words to that again, I think it'd be a best appropriate. God, to Thee, my sinking soul, in deep distress doth fly. Thy love can all my griefs control, and all my wants supply. How oft when dark misfortunes band Around their victim stood The seeming ill at thy command Hath changed to real good The tempest that Obscured the sky Has set my bosom free From earthly care and sensual joy And turn my thoughts to thee Afflictions blast have made me learn to feel for others' woe And humbly seek with deep concern My own defects to know Then rage ye storms, ye billows roll my heart defies your shock. Ye make me cling to God the more, to God my sheltering Thank you.